Monday, the 11th of December. It is the Feast of St. Juan Diego. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord, at your first coming, you took flesh of the Virgin Mary. In the present age, dwell in our midst in your mercy and love. At your first coming, you healed the sick and forgave sinners. In the present age, heal and forgive your people. At your first coming, you proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. In the present age, teach us to live by the kingdom's laws of love. God all-merciful, you sent your Son into the world through the obedient love of the Virgin Mary to preach the good news of your kingdom to the sick and to the sorrowful, to the sinful and the outcast. By her example and her intercession, increase in your church the life and works of your kingdom as we await his return in glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Juan Diego, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here as we make our way through a Monday morning after some intense weather in a lot of different places over the weekend. Hope uh, you are safe. Please keep those who are affected, especially in uh, West Tennessee, in your prayers this morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a video feed up and running in the show notes at Sunrise Morning Show. We'll take a look at this week in Catholic history with Kevin Schmeezing. Rita Heikenfeld has some handmade gift ideas for Christmas for us in our Bible Foods segment. We'll talk about heaven with Father John Gavin in the Catechism and what the Church Fathers have had to say about that. And then Catherine Fishlock has some musical notes for us to uh, reflect upon, and that's a pun intended, in regard to the second Sunday of Advent. So please do stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said, quote, it's the beginning of the end for Hamas. In a video message yesterday, Netanyahu said dozens of militants have been have surrendered as Israel continues trying to wipe the Hamas group out in the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip. He said it will take more time, but his message to Hamas is it's over. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. From Vatican Radio, Sister Bernadette Reese reports. It is like a master plan, he said. Many steps have been taken, many still need to be made. And unfortunately, at times, steps backwards have been taken. The commitment to human rights is never finished, the Pope said adding that he is close to all those who work and fight to defend human rights in the concrete situations of everyday life. The Holy Father expressed his joy at the release of Armenian and Azerbaijani prisoners. I look with great hope on this positive sign between Armenia and Azerbaijan for peace in the South Caucasus, the Pope said, while encouraging both nations with their leaders to conclude a peace treaty as soon as possible. Pope Francis went on to ask for prayers for all peoples suffering from war. We are heading toward Christmas. Are we able, with God's help, to take concrete steps for peace, he asked. 
While acknowledging the difficulties of resolving conflicts that have deep historical roots, the Pope invited everyone to follow the example of men and women who have worked wisely and patiently for peaceful coexistence. And returning to the issue of human rights, the Pope called for civilians, hospitals, and places of worship to be protected, for hostages to be freed, and for humanitarian aid to be guaranteed in conflict areas. And let us not forget tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel, he added. Finally, with the COP28 conference on climate change drawing to a close in Dubai, Pope Francis asked for prayers for a good outcome, for the care of our common home, and the protection of populations. I'm Sister Bernadette Reese. Pope Francis has announced the church's first World Day of Children will take place next year. The Pope announced on Friday that the church will celebrate the first World Day of Children next May. Speaking from the window of the Apostolic Palace overlooking St. Peter's Square yesterday, he said the celebration will be in Rome on the weekend of May 25th and 26th. The president of the University of Pennsylvania is resigning after a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. The House is investigating Harvard, MIT, and Penn after their presidents failed to explicitly say that calling for the genocide of Jews violates their code of conduct. On Saturday, UPenn President Liz McGill announced she would be resigning effective immediately. Meanwhile, Harvard President Claudine Gay has apologized for her response during the hearing, saying threats against the university's Jewish students have no place at the school. Multiple tornadoes in Tennessee have left at least six people dead and dozens injured. Two adults and a child were killed in Clarksville, while three others died in Madison, just north of Nashville. State officials say the tornadoes caused extensive damage across several Nashville suburbs. The National Weather Service says the same fierce storm system is likely to bring thunderstorms to much of the East Coast and heavy snow to the Appalachians throughout the day. With more on that storm, Mark Mayfield reports. Travel advisories and flash flood alerts are in effect for many areas, including New York City, with up to five inches of rain expected to fall. Forecasters are predicting wind gusts of 50 miles per hour or higher from Washington to Boston. Damaging storms are also affecting the south, from Virginia to the Florida Panhandle. I'm Mark Mayfield. Health insurer Cigna is dropping its plans to merge with competitor Humana. The Wall Street Journal reports the two companies could not reach an agreement after working on the idea for weeks. A Cigna-Humana merger would have led to a company with a value exceeding $140 billion. And Jaden Daniels is the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner. The LSU quarterback took home the award given to the player who's been voted to be the best in college football. Daniels scored 50 touchdowns and nearly had nearly 5,000 total yards during his senior season. He was one of four finalists for the Heisman, including Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr., Ohio State wide receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., and Oregon quarterback Bo Nix. All right. So how do you feel about this, Anna Mitchell? Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, okay. he had some pretty incredible stats. Um, I mean, I guess I should say I'm not surprised because he certainly had the the best, like, personal record, I guess you could say. Out See, of the I four. hate that they have to decide but, this now. Because yeah, because the, I mean, the bowl season is The bowl season's not huge. happened. 
I really and thought I thought Michael Penix Jr. was going to win. What it. happens if Washington beats Texas? I well, actually I have to be careful about this because I don't want to pit our Sacred Heart Radio West Coast family against our Guadalupe Radio family. Mm-hmm. But what happens if Washington beats Texas and he has like a career game? Yeah, and then goes and plays in the national championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of a weird time to do. The, I mean, it's based on the regular season, which I get, but I get that. Still, well, maybe I really they do thought... a postseason Heisman like they do a World Series MVP something. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I, was... I don't make the rules, Anna Mitchell. I That'd was be thinking... the NCAA. <laughs> I was. And they change them all the time. I was thinking Michael Penix Jr. was going to win it just well, based on his stats and his team being best in the player playoff, from the best team. But... You know, is often, often often a good measure. Yeah. But all I know is that Dak Prescott, speaking of Texas people, goodness gracious, he had a big night too. Yeah. Against the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, I didn't watch that game. I saw Past part of the Bengals time. game. Yeah. Watched uh, watched the Kansas City Buffalo game. That was yes. intense. That was very intense. Yeah. Well, we're awake and ready to go for a Monday morning. It is nine minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with a look at This Week in Catholic History, and here to do that with us, as always, is Kevin Schmeising, author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. He's also on the Catholic History Trek podcast. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. All right, tell me about Samuel Cooper. Samuel Sutherland Cooper, a prominent early American priest, died this week in 1843. Now, I say prominent, Matt. He was well-known at the time, but he's been largely forgotten. In fact, I didn't know anything about him until I heard an episode on the American Catholic History Podcast from my friends Tom and Noel Crow. As far as I can tell, there's been no published book-length biography, there's no entry in the Catholic Encyclopedia, and there's not even a Wikipedia page for him. So everything I'm relating today is from a single article that appeared in a Catholic historical journal in 1926. But I think listeners will agree, his was a remarkable life. Samuel Cooper was born in 1769 in Norfolk, Virginia, into an upper-class Anglican family, but he was raised in an essentially non-religious way. He embarked on a successful career as a shipping merchant in Philadelphia, through which he traveled the world. He was in Paris when he became seriously ill, and this prompted reflection on spiritual things. When he returned to Philadelphia, he began a spiritual quest, both intellectually and, I guess you could say, geographically. He visited numerous churches of many denominations across the city, He was finally impressed by the high mass he attended at St. Augustine Catholic Church, where he had a strong sense of the presence of Christ. In 1807, he joined the Catholic Church. He soon discerned a calling to the priesthood and entered the seminary in Baltimore. There, he met Elizabeth Ann Seton, fellow convert, and also in the early years of her apostolate, the wealthy Cooper became Seton's most important patron, funding and even helping to select the property in Emmitsburg that would be the site of the mother house of the Sisters of Charity. Cooper was ordained in 1818, spent time in parochial duties in the dioceses of Charleston, South Carolina, Philadelphia, and Richmond, Virginia. In Augusta, Georgia, that was in the Diocese of Charleston at the time, he had an extraordinary experience, an apparent Eucharistic miracle, when the host turned to flesh in his hands during consecration. In Philadelphia, he was involved in the trustee controversy that roiled the Catholic parishes there in the 1820s, By the 1830s, he was in poor health. He was invited to spend his final days in France with his friend, Jean Cheverou. That's someone we've talked about before, the former Bishop of Boston, 
He was a cardinal and archbishop of Bordeaux in France. Chevreux died time. in 1836. It's Van time. Cooper died in 1843. It was this week, December 16th. The article I mentioned sums it up this way. The life story of Samuel Sutherland Cooper, scion of a wealthy Virginia colonial house, master mariner, world traveler, convert to the Catholic faith, priest, missionary, ascetic, and confessor to America's first cardinal, is one of the strangest pages in American church history. Samuel Sutherland Cooper this week in 1843. Wow, how'd you like to sit down and have a cup of coffee with that guy? <laughs> <laughs> that would Man. be interesting. What a fascinating, fascinating story. Well, we head from there to Croatia and actually around the same period of time. Right. Just a few years later, the creation of the Archdiocese of Zagreb and Croatia. Now, I'm using the date for the Archdiocese because I couldn't find an exact date for the original creation of the diocese. That was all the way back in the 11th century. The Croat people settled the former Roman provinces of Pannonia and Dalmatia on the east coast of the Adriatic Sea in the 6th century. By that time, Christianity was already flourishing there. The Croats were gradually Christianized, and politically they were over the centuries at various times an independent nation, a part of the Holy Roman Empire, or the Kingdom of Hungary, or the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The capital of the realm was settled in Agram, or Zagreb, where, as I mentioned, a diocese was formed in the late 11th century. Zagreb was raised to the rank of Archdiocese on December 11th, this week in 1852. Probably the best-known Archbishop of Zagreb was Aloysius Stepanak, who was appointed in 1937. After World War II, Croatia was part of communist Yugoslavia, and Stepanak was convicted in a show trial of collaboration with the Nazi occupation during the war, and he was imprisoned. Pope Pius XII made him a cardinal in 1953. He died in 1960 and was beatified by John Paul II in 1998. Croatia gained its independence after the fall of communism and the disintegration of Yugoslavia. Today, there are about a million Catholics in the capital city's archdiocese of Zagreb, so designated this week in 1852. Man, what another fascinating roundup of Catholic history from here and abroad. Kevin Schmeising, we've got your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks as always. Thanks. And uh, of course, not only can you find Kevin when you go to the sunrisemorningshow.com show notes, you can also find links to all the rest of our guests. You can even enter your email and subscribe and get those delivered to your inbox every day, along with some of the prayers we use on the air and who knows what else. Let's check weather for the nation the after a bit of a uh, wild week, uh, weekend, past couple days. The system that brought rain, thunderstorms, and snow to the mid-Atlantic overnight will move to the northeast today, bringing rain, flash flooding, and heavy snow. I woke up to a little bit of snow on the ground here in the D.C. area. Upslope snow showers will continue across the high country of West Virginia and western Pennsylvania during the morning. In New England, heavy snow will occupy the high elevations while rain and snow mix will fall in the lower elevations. As you get closer to the coast, rainy conditions prevalent with localized flooding possible. In the mid-Atlantic, a quick morning, morning burst of snow might still happen in the western suburbs of Philadelphia, Washington, and Baltimore. Flakes along the I-95 corridor. In the Pacific Northwest, the coastlines of Washington and Oregon will get battered by wind and rain while the Cascades get a rain-snow mix all the way till midday. Most of Idaho and northwest Montana will see rain and snow, but portions of Wyoming and southern Monta Montana can expect all snow beginning late morning. Everything else fairly quiet, but again, a bit of a wild couple of days on the weather front. Back with headlines right after this, it's a quarter past the hour.
For 150 years, the Komboni missionaries have followed in the footsteps of their founders and Daniel Komboni. We are an active missionary group sharing our deep faith in God through service to the poorest and most abandoned people around the world, satisfying both the physical and spiritual needs of the people in our mission. Please support our mission work with a generous year-end gift today. Thank you for your prayers and kindness. Give today at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN has its own official YouTube channel with tens of thousands of videos covering just about every conceivable topic of interest to Catholics. And best of all, it's free. Every day, EWTN adds new TV shows, live events, devotionals, homilies, and specials to its YouTube channel. Visit the EWTN YouTube channel today. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 17 past, here's Anna with headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has asserted it is the, quote, beginning of the end for Hamas. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. And the Holy Father has announced the church's first World Day of Children will take place next May. Going up. They've got Mother's Day, and they've got Father's Day, and they have Grandparents' Day. We need a well, children's, when is children's day. day. Well, every day is children's. Every day is children's. Every day. day is children's day. It's so true. But at any rate, so today, speaking of things that are days, mm-hmm. we actually get kind of a cool back-to-back feast because we've got Saint Juan Diego today, and then tomorrow we've got Our Lady of Guadalupe. So. When people say happy holidays to me around this time of year, Anna Mitchell, I only assume that they mean, you know, the Feast of St. Nicholas, you know, Our Lady of Guadalupe. I thought Juan Diego was December 9th. Well, he is. We got moved today. Oh, I was so confused. I didn't know that. Well, he's in the mix. Oh, okay. Why did he get moved to today? I don't remember. Actually, you know what? Am I I might be reading something wrong. Oh, okay. Damasus is definitely today. Yeah, today is Pope St. Damasus. I know that, but... Well, I missed it then. I missed it. You know what? I probably had something open on... I have... You know what? <laughs> we can celebrate it all. <clears throat> it's the vigil yeah, of Our I Lady mean, of Guadalupe, like, so fine. we're going I to mean... have Mexican food tonight, and that's just going to happen, Anna Mitchell. Don't take this away from me. Let me have Taco Tuesday and Taco Monday. Like, I, this whole thing was a setup for that. I'm sorry. I don't know what food you eat for the Feast of Pope St. Damasus, and now I am stuck. 
Oh, I'm sure he would love for you to have Taco Monday. Pope St. Damasus? I think he was Italian. Absolutely. Well, that's okay. Italian tacos. His family was Spanish in origin. Okay. Well, maybe Castilian. So, yeah, you just have some kind of... Maybe some paella. Spanish-ish taco. I mean, there's got to be some kind of a Spanish taco, right? Well, yeah. I mean, where did... It's, it's, exactly. Like it's a, it's a fusion of. Yeah. I mean, anything that like passes for Tex-Mex in the United States of America just use, is like a mix of a bunch of different things. Just use Spanish rice tonight instead of That's what I'll white do. rice. Just throw a little saffron in. Yeah, and then you you're good. That's all you needed. Man, I'm so frustrated. I was so excited about setting <laughs> that up for everybody. I'm so sorry. The Taco Monday, Taco Tuesday. Oh, gosh. But how cool is it, Anna I'm Mitchell, such a that the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe falls on a Taco Tuesday this year? Oh, man. So good. I mean, could it get any better? Could it get any better? I guess Pope maybe. St. Damasus, Juan Diego, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Pray for Pray us. Pray for us. Owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Some people in the Bible appear to have lived up to their given names. This seems true for a man named Philemon. His name means loving. He apparently offered his home as a gathering place for the church in Colossae. We have a letter from Paul to Philemon asking him to receive a former slave as an equal in Christ. Paul seems confident that his request will be granted because of the mutual respect Philemon and he have for each other. Paul even takes the liberty to make a light-hearted play on words in his letter. The name of the slave was Onesimus, which means useful. But Paul hopes it is Philemon who will prove useful to him by allowing his slave to return. We cannot know whether Philemon appreciated Paul's sense of humor, but the cordial tone of Paul's letter suggests that the apostle anticipated his request would be granted. The world could certainly benefit from people like Philemon. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Timothy Shear. It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com. And this time of year, it, well, it's a great season for seasonal foods, but it's also a great time to think about um, how to make gifts for people. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, and I'm just loving starting our annual Gifts from the Kitchen series. Well, we get to use some Bible foods and herbs in the process, and there is definitely a flavor associated with the season from candy canes to everything else. Uh, mint is certainly in the Bible. Oh, it is. And and again, um, like you said, just such a popular flavor this time of year, Matt. Um, 
we have a very familiar passage in Luke in chapter 11 about him uh, talking about mint being one of the tithing herbs. I think that's so interesting. But here's the deal. The Hebrews, Greeks, and Romans uh, chewed mint leaves for digestion. So it's not only a great flavoring, it's good for your uh, digestion and headaches, and it's a great medicinal herb as well. Well, why don't you talk about the differences between spearmint and peppermint, then? Well, I think, to me, now, I want your opinion on this. I think spearmint has a sweeter taste and aroma. Um, I think you could substitute it in salads and even some candies. Now, peppermint's essential oil, Matt, is real strong. I mean, you'll notice it right away. And they can both be used in teas, but if you go to the store and uh, look for a mint tea, it's probably going to be peppermint. Um, I think that's the most popular. Do you have a favorite? Uh, I mean, I like spearmint. Um, I think it goes really well in tea, but, you know, it's hard to beat a good peppermint bark, as we're going to discuss here in just a little bit. Uh, That being said, you mentioned peppermint uh, essential oil. When it comes to mint, well, actually, when it comes to anything, uh, what's the difference between an extract or an oil, if I'm going to be trying to use something in a recipe? Oh, good good point. Well, extracts are in, uh, made with alcohol, and it's like an infusion process. And then the oil is distilled actually from the essential oils in the leaves, Matt. Um, either one will work in this recipe for the bark, but here's, here's, here's again a tip. Oil is more potent, and if you do use peppermint oil, I always say buy it in the bakery section to make sure it's the pure peppermint oil and not maybe just a fragrance oil. Um, the extract is more available, so you could use mo- either one. If you're going to use extract, you're going to use a little more than the oil. So that is a very important point. I just I didn't even think until you mentioned it that somebody might be looking for peppermint oil for a recipe and go into the household cleaner section and get like a peppermint-flavored, like one of those plug-in things. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's so true. Or one of those... Um, uh, they have little vials, and you put a wooden, like a skewer in it. So, yeah, just oh, like be careful. Oh, like the diffusers and those things. Right, yeah. All that yeah. stuff. <laughs> All right, well, you've got a peppermint bark recipe, and this is a great gift to give. Again, nobody needs more stuff. I mean, a few people do, but most people don't need more stuff, and this is a great recipe. I think the most important part of this recipe is how you melt the chocolate because that is an easy thing to get wrong if you're not familiar with what you're doing. But how does this peppermint bark recipe work? Oh, it, it's pretty easy. Um, it's a process, but it's pretty easy. And it's got two layers, a bottom layer of dark chocolate and then the top layer of uh, white chocolate and with some uh, crushed hard candy peppermint. But you're right, melting uh, chocolate, you have to do it carefully and slowly because uh, if you melt chocolate at a high heat, it's going to seize. So usually, I usually just... Um, have a, you can have a double boiler if you want to do it on the stove. If you don't have a double boiler, you can use just a bowl over simmering water. Some people like to use the microwave. Regardless, um, you just want to melt it slowly until you see a few lumps still unmelted, and you pull it off the heat. And this works for both the dark and the white. And as you stir it off the heat, those um, little pieces that remain will melt, and it will stay smooth, and it won't seize. Also, no water, because if the water, even steam gets in chocolate, it will seize. So basically, you're going to melt some dark chocolate um, for the bottom layer, and I add a little bit of vegetable oil, and that helps the flow. And um, you can stir some extract into that, 
and then just pour that on a foil-lined pan. And you put it in the fridge. Here's another tip. Until it's just almost completely set, not real hard. People have trouble with chocolate, uh, the bark separating. And if the, the first layer is too hard when you pull this, put the second layer on, it won't bond. Also mm. use really good quality chocolate, not uh, chocolate with palm oil, because that sometimes causes it to separate. So not getting too technical here. Basically, you melt the bottom layer. When it's almost set, um, you have the, the white chocolate melted, again, with a little oil. And you pour it on top, and then immediately you're going to sprinkle some candy bits, the hard peppermint candy. And then um, you just refrigerate that until it's set, about 20 minutes. And um, it should be pretty hard by then. But say you forgot it and it's in the fridge an hour or so, before you cut it or break it, let it sit at room temperature, um, and that helps prevent layers from separating. It's really easy, but the most trouble people have is using, um, not using good quality chocolate or um, the layer separating because, you know, it's too cold, et cetera. So seems it's simple. It's a process. It's a wonderful gift from the kitchen, especially for somebody who maybe need a lift spiritually, I think, because the, the peppermint aroma is uplifting as well. So, um, again, I've got it on my site, uh, a whole primer on how to do it. Very easy. It makes a ton. A great gift from the kitchen. It is a great gift from the kitchen, and it's the kind of thing where, uh, again, if somebody's going to uh, give me like a, a gift card or whatever, or they're going to make me peppermint bark, guess which one I'm going to be more excited about? <laughs> I'm going to be more excited about the thing that they spent time making, especially because this is the kind of thing, too, you can get your kids involved in uh, very easily to make some of the stuff. You can write a little note. You can figure out a cool bag to put it in or a tin. There's all these things that you can do with a gift made out of the kitchen. Rita Heikenfeld, we've got abouteating.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. Oh, I hope you do too, Matt. And I'll talk to you next week with even more fun gifts. Sounds good to me. All linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past, here's Anna with news. Good morning. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says it's, quote, the beginning of the end for Hamas. In a video message yesterday, Netanyahu said dozens of Hamas militants have surrendered as Israel continues trying to wipe them out in the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip. He said it will take more time, but his message to Hamas is that it's over. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. He asked as well for prayers for all people suffering from war, saying, We are heading toward Christmas. Are we able, with God's help, to take concrete steps for peace? He asked the faithful to not forget tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. During his Angelus Address catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father reflected on the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Advent and focused on the power of silence. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. From John the Baptist's position near the Jordan River, the Pope said, the desert from where the Apostle preaches is a place of silence and essentials. Eso es luego del silencio. A place where someone cannot afford to dwell on useless things, but needs to concentrate on what is indispensable to live. This, the Pope said, is an always relevant reminder. To proceed on the journey of life, we need to be stripped of the more. 
Because to live well does not mean being filled with useless things, but being freed from the superfluous. To dig deeply within ourselves so as to hold on to what is truly important before God. Focusing on the second image, the voice, Pope Francis highlighted its connection to silence because it expresses what matures inside from listening to what the Spirit suggests. If someone does not know how to be quiet, he said, it is unlikely they will have something good to say, while the more attentive the silence, the stronger the word. Finally, the Pope suggested we ask ourselves, what place does silence have in my days? Is it an empty, perhaps oppressive silence, or is it a space for listening, for prayer, for guarding my heart? Is my life sober or filled with superfluous things? Valorizziamo il silenzio, la sobrietà, l'ascolto. Even if it means going against the tide, he concluded, let us value silence, sobriety and listening. May Mary, Virgin of Silence, help us to love the desert, to become credible voices who testify to her son who is coming. I'm Linda Bordoni. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is set to travel to the White House tomorrow. Mark Mayfield reports. President Biden invited Zelensky for a meeting to underscore the U.S. commitment to supporting Ukraine. An aid package for the country remains stalled in Congress with a visit coming less than a week after Senate Republicans blocked a bill to give aid to Ukraine and Israel in their respective fights against Russia and Hamas. Zelensky will also meet with House Speaker Mike Johnson. I'm Mark Mayfield. Multiple tornadoes in Tennessee have left at least six people dead and dozens injured. Two adults and a child were killed in Clarksville, while three others died in Madison, just north of Nashville. State officials say the tornadoes caused extensive damage across several Nashville suburbs. The National Weather Service says the same storm is likely to bring thunderstorms to much of the East Coast and heavy snow to the Appalachians. A second University of Pennsylvania official is resigning. Scott Carr has more. The University of Pennsylvania's chairman of the board, Scott Fox, stepped down from his post, reports say just minutes after the resignation of university president Liz McGill on Saturday. McGill was already under pressure after a pro-Palestinian event was held on campus in September, followed by Hamas's attack on Israel and reports of rising anti-Semitism on the Penn campus. Reports say that pressure was amped up last week when McGill and the heads of other universities refused to say before a congressional panel that calling for the genocide of Jews violated their respective schools' code of conduct. The president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, has apologized for her response. I'm Scott Carr in Washington. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 minutes past. The Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What sort of sorrow should we have for our sins? The sorrow we should have for our sins should be interior, supernatural, universal, and sovereign. By interior, what we mean is that it comes from the heart, from the place where we love God and where we want to serve Him. By saying that sorrow is supernatural, it means that it's prompted by the grace of God. It's excited by moments of faith within us. Even if nothing bad happened to me because of this sin, I'm still sorry for it. Also, our sin should be universal. By universal, we mean that we should be sorry for all of our sins without exception. Finally, our sorrows should be sovereign, meaning that we should be more sorry for having offended God than sorry that we're in trouble. When our sorrow is truly interior, supernatural, universal, and sovereign, then that helps us to keep the faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. We thank you for joining us on this Monday, December the 11th. It is the Feast of St. Damasus, Pope St. Damasus, who has some Spanish roots. And I mistakenly said it was Juan Diego because tomorrow is Our Lady of Guadalupe. But I want to thank Izzy in the YouTube chat for saying, I can eat tapas tonight. And that's never a bad thing. There you go. Father John Gavin joins us now, and he is the author of Mysteries of the Lord's Prayer, which looks at what the church fathers have had to say about the Our Father. And we've been going through the catechism, looking at what the church fathers have to say at various points in the catechism. Father, good morning. Good morning. So we get to talk about St. Cyprian of Carthage today and his remarks on heaven. Where does this show up in the catechism? So we've arrived at—we're looking—we've been looking at the parts of the catechism that are commenting on the creed, and we've arrived at the part, uh, I believe, in life everlasting— and so just before this section, uh, the Catechism talks about the particular judgment, that is, the judgment that each one of us will face in reference to Christ after our death. And then it, we are in the section now on heaven, and what is heaven. So uh, what the image that it uses throughout here is one, the one of the beatific vision. That is, heaven is to see God as he is. And that leads us up to this quote from uh, St. Cyprian, because it's not as easy as a concept as we might think, right? Uh, how do we see God? What does it mean to see God in eternity? How is that our eternal blessing or beatitude? So uh, if you could share that quote, because as you mentioned, it is not—I mean, when people ask what the Church teaches about heaven, they, I think they look for mm. more specifics than this, and we don't get a ton of specifics, do we? No, no descriptions of clouds or any or halos no or anything like here, that. nothing. Nothing, nothing, no. Uh, but this section, I'll just read the part just before the quote, just to set us up. It says—this is 1028—because of his transcendence, God cannot be seen as he is unless he himself opens up his mystery to man's immediate contemplation and gives him capacity for it. 
The Church calls this contemplation of God in his heavenly glory the beatific vision. And here's the quote from St. Cyprian. How great will your glory and happiness be to be allowed to see God, to be honored with sharing the joy of salvation and eternal light with Christ your Lord and God, to delight in the joy of immortality in the kingdom of heaven with the righteous and God's friends. I should say uh, that quote comes from a letter of St. Cyprian that is actually an exhortation to martyrdom. Uh, St. Cyprian uh, lived in the mid-third century during especially a period of persecutions under the Emperor Decius, and he himself would be martyred. But uh, yes, he's, he's speaking about uh, the beatific vision heaven to uh, his flock who will be facing persecution or are facing persecution and potential martyrdom. You know, as we think about this uh, and and try and wrap our minds around it, I know that there have been mm. people who have tried to, you know, zero in on near-death experiences and get as much description out of people as possible. And of course, we've got, uh, you know, various glimpses into heaven from people like, you know, the prophet Daniel, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Ezekiel gets windows into things, the book of Revelation has lots of mysterious stuff going on, uh, but it is it is striking to me that ultimately uh, God doesn't give us a lot of information, and, you know, as I was reading from First uh, John, uh, this is 3, 2, uh, he says, we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Uh, even mm. the Bible says, well, we don't really know how this is going to work. <laughs> you know, right, we, we right. just know that it's good. Right. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God. I, the, the fathers of the Church, including Cyprian, uh, had much to say about what this, uh, what this seeing of God might be. And I, I would highlight maybe three things that all come through in this uh, quotation here. Uh, some of the things that they suggest, because you're right, I mean, we don't have any concrete images, but the first thing would be that uh, this seeing of God, seeing God face to face, is uh, a way of uh, speaking about our experience of union with God, right? Uh, that our Lord, in, uh, Jesus Christ, in rising from the dead and ascending into heaven, uh, brings our humanity into the very life of the Trinity, Right? And so it, this is a way of stating that we will experience God in the union with Father, Son, and Spirit. So that's one way they talk about it. Another way they talk about it here, he mentions that uh, this, we will experience this eternal light with Christ. And we have to remember that uh, Christ is, uh, is risen, and therefore uh, we can see him in that he has a body. Right, a glorified body, but he makes God visible to us, and so we will contemplate God in Christ. And then finally, as he speaks about here, uh, this joy of being with God's friends, uh, if we speak about heaven as the time in which we will all be fully that image and likeness of God, we also come to contemplate God in one another, in the communion of saints, in the way each one reflects that divine image. So those are those are several ways uh, I think that all appear in this quote, but they're ways that the fathers will talk about what this means to see God. Yeah, uh, that that is uh, a wonderful thing to think about. That we're not just going to see God for ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna see God 
with one another. Like we get to share this mm-hmm. joy with each other as we're sharing in the joy and the joy of Christ. You know, and I'm thinking about that too. Like what does it mean to see God? I mean, all that human beings have seen, at least according to the scriptures and and what we've, you know, heard from apparitions and private revelations everybody who has seen the glorified Christ has seen him with unglorified eyes. <laughs> right? right, right. These are all the reports that we get. Like, even those who have seen the glorified Christ have not seen him with their own glorified bodies, at least not mm-hmm. yet, at least from the reports and the, the accounts that we have. Right, right. We we are seeing with a clouded vision, right? I mean, we are still uh, struggling with sin, and therefore we do not we don't even see one another right as <laughs> true as yeah. we are truly called to be right and we are not uh showing ourselves because of our sins uh truly as we are to be in that fullness of the divine likeness and so that is really heaven is is fulfillment right uh it is a fulfillment of our lord's promises of that which we have been created for uh, it is where we will find our greatest joy. But yes, it, it's communal, as you said as well. It's not just just me, but the joy will be shared by us all in the life of the Trinity. Yeah, and that's why I hate to get too specific about it uh, or, or try and you know demand that someone else nail down specifics for me because I don't want to mm-hmm. limit that, <laughs> right? I don't want to right. put a limit on it uh, based on my own ability to understand things. I mean, it'd be great to say that heaven is unlimited nachos, but nachos <laughs> are a—that's uh, a limit I don't want to put on God. Right, exactly. I, I think uh, we, we could try and project all kinds of things on what heaven might be for us, and we're going to be under the mark. That's true. We're just, we're just going to be under the mark. And it, it, to contemplate heaven, though, and the beatific vision really is to enkindle our hope, right? Uh, that theological virtue is what ultimately draws us toward this fulfillment. Uh, it has been promised to us, and it is the object of all our hope. It's what should get us out of bed in the morning. Yeah. The best thing I can think of, and I don't know if this is a very good explanation at all, is when my son asks me these kinds of questions because eleven-year-olds mm. they want to know, uh, you know, what you get to sure. do in heaven. As I just tend to say, whatever it is that you like about unlimited nachos, <laughs> uh, that's the shadow of the real thing that exists in heaven somehow in an infinite form. That's the best that's, I can do, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a wonderful way is. of putting it. It's like C.S. Lewis said that the joys we experience in this world are meant to really give us a taste of what heaven will be. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Father John Gavin. What a cool conversation to be able to have as we await uh, the coming of our Lord at Christmas. And uh, he came down from heaven, right, to help bring us back up there with him. Father Gavin, thank you so much as always. Have a wonderful day. You as well. God bless. All right. It is 14 till. Get a little bit of uh, musical explanation from the second Sunday of Advent with Catherine Fishlock next. Back after this. Support is for MediShare. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too, for over 30 years. It's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members 
And here's the thing. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another 10% off all of 2024. That's 12 months of savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline's December 15th. So call now. You'll save even more. Here's the number, 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE, 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Are you a new listener to EWTN Radio? Welcome. We're here for you 24-7. You'll hear live and interactive shows throughout the day to answer any questions you may have about the Catholic faith. There's trustworthy news from a Catholic perspective. And a large selection of podcasts available at EWTN's Podcast Central. And, of course, the daily mass, prayers, and everything you need to edify your soul. Welcome to EWTN Radio. We're blessed to have you with us. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said in a video message that it's the beginning of the end for Hamas. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights and in his catechesis focused on the power of silence as he reflected on the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Advent. Next newscast coming up in about 13-ish minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 11 till. It's time for our visit with the Sunrise Morning Show music teacher, Catherine Fishlock, professional singer, musician, and teacher, of course. Catherine, it's good to see you here in studio again. It's nice to be here. So we are uh, doing our little mini-series on the introits for Advent, Mm -hmm. also known as the entrance antiphons. So we are looking at the introit for the second Sunday of Advent. And before we get to that specifically, you notice something really cool about sort of the the progression of the entrance antiphons um, for Sunday Masses during Advent. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Yeah, so... um... I think it's very beautiful you know I've said this before that um, you know Holy Mother Church she's such a good mother she's always teaching and leading and pointing us in mm-hmm. the right direction you know and um, and we when we look to the texts of the church we see that all over the place and in the four um, introits to the four Sundays of Advent each one of them uh, sort of builds in anticipation and sort of like the excitement is building as we get to uh, closer and closer to Christmas and I just think it's such a beautiful, again, another beautiful little kind of um, hidden, but unfor- like sort of now like lost little teaching tool, mm-hmm. right, to add to the great, uh, you know, the, the wealth of, of that that we have in the church. So the first Sunday we talk about, uh, you know, just I lift up my soul at my God, I trust in you. Let me not be put to shame. It's this, um, you know, protect me. Um, don't let my enemies get the best of me because I'm waiting 
for you. And yeah. I'm not going to be disappointed. Like those of us, who, those of us who are uh, none of those who are awaiting you will be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And then the second week is uh, people of Zion. Behold, there's more of a sense of, okay, he's it's this is going to happen. This is going to happen. People of Zion, behold, the Lord is coming to save all nations, and the Lord shall cause you to hear His majestic voice for the joy of your heart. Mm. And then the third Sunday, which, of course, everyone knows is called Gaudete Sunday, but I think a lot of people don't realize that that word, whenever you have a named Sunday like that, that name typically comes from the first word of the introit. Yeah. So it's uh, Gaudete in Domino, rejoice in the Lord always, is that third Sunday. You might call it Rose Sunday. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's Rejoice Sunday, not just because the priest wears rose. It's right. not just like, oh, a happy color. That's as <laughs> you know, that's I mean, not, it is a happy very, color. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. Right. But that's because this is this, you know, this partway through this season of Advent where we are, uh, the joy is starting to mount. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the last, the fourth Sunday, we finally, uh, we're, Jesus is on his way. Skies, let the just one come forth like the dew. Let him mm. descend from the clouds like the rain. And then, you know, the next thing we have is Christmas Eve. Yeah. So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful pro, pro, uh, progression of anticipation, I would say. Mm-hmm. These things were clearly thought out. Right. Clearly right, exactly. thought out to prepare our hearts in that way, which is why it's so important for parishes to actually use right. what Holy Mother Church gives us. Right. Rather and, than just like, you know, coming up with a pretty entrance hymn. I mean, I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but. Right. This, but it, like, this even, is more helpful, I think. Yes. And even that particular hymn, that those texts have a significant place. You know, those yeah. are those are the Magnificat antiphons for the last week of Advent. So really, <clears throat> I would, <clears throat> excuse me, I would recommend music directors hold off on <clears throat> O Come, O Come, Emmanuel mm-hmm. until the fourth, the, till the fourth Sunday of Advent. Yeah. Well, that's a good So thing. there you have it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> controversy on the sunrise oh, morning show ladies and gentlemen i know i know i'm sorry just had to i will say direct it. all the angry emails over to Catherine. i'll take them it'll we be can fine. talk it'll be fine so read us again the words of this entrance antiphon yes. for the second sunday of advent people of zion behold the lord is coming to save all nations and the lord shall cause you to hear his majestic voice for the joy of your heart mm. Just beautiful. And you're going to chant it for us in English. This I will week. do my best. I have a little issue in my throat this morning, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Here we go. People of Zion, behold, the Lord is coming to save our nations. And the Lord shall cause you to hear his majestic voice for the joy of your heart. Short and sweet mm-hmm. and even as short as it was, just gave me chills. Like this this beautiful idea of like, yeah. In your heart, like he's coming, he's mm-hmm. coming to save you. Right. Right. And, and this wonderful sense of get ready. Yeah. And it know. has so much more power when it's sung. Completely. 
again, the wisdom of Holy Mother Church, why she tells us to sing our prayers. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Behold, O people of Zion. So cool. So cool. The entrance antiphon for the second Sunday of Advent. You've just heard Catherine Fishlock, the Sunrise Morning Show music teacher, (laughs) chanting it for us. Catherine, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you know, Matt, um, I'm really struck by this whole idea. Like He's coming. I, I really loved that in the, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel reading uh, that we had yesterday on the second Sunday of Advent. It's like the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. Prepare the way. And then, like, John the Baptist just appears in the sure, desert. Sure so. I mean, it's just like, bam. Boom. You know, it's interesting that... Uh, you know, Mark would have known a lot about the life of Christ if he had Peter as a source. Yeah. But it turns out that he didn't even mention, like, the circumstances of his birth. He just jumps straight into just his ministry. straight into it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you got miracles right out of the gates in Mark's gospel. It's a very urgent gospel. And it's kind of an interesting thing to, uh, to, to read in the context of Advent, that urgency. Uh, get ready. Yeah. Be ready. Prepare the way for the Lord. Absolutely. All right, we got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up on many of these EWTN affiliates right after the break. Stay with us. It's three minutes till. Continue on this Monday, the 11th of December. Let's pray St. Augustine's prayer to the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And since it is his feast today, Pope St. Damasus I, pray for us. He is uh, one of the people who helped get the Vulgate put together, in case you were wondering how to position him in history and in the narrative of how the church came to do some of the things that the church has done. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has video feed up and running at sunrisemorningshow.com in the show notes. And this hour, Teresa Tamio is going to be on from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. We'll catch up with Sister Alicia Torres. Tomorrow is the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and she's got a reflection on Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, and the Eucharist to share today. We'll catch up with Bear Wozniak and get more rules for manliness, as it were. Stephanie Mann is going to be along at the end of the hour also to talk about when a priest met a priest hunter. Stephanie's been going through the stories of the English Reformation, and it is high drama, let me tell you. It is two minutes past the hour. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. 
Good morning. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said it's, quote, the beginning of the end for Hamas. In a video message yesterday, Netanyahu said dozens of militants have surrendered as Israel continues to wipe them out in the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip. He said it will take more time, but his message to Hamas is that it's over. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is set to travel to the White House tomorrow. President Biden invited Zelensky for a meeting to underscore the U.S. commitment to supporting Ukraine. An aid package for the country remains stalled in Congress, though, with the visit coming less than a week after Senate Republicans blocked a bill to give aid to Ukraine and Israel in their respective rights against Russia and Hamas. Zelensky will also be meeting with House Speaker Mike Johnson. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. From Vatican Radio, Sister Bernadette Reese reports. It is like a master plan, he said. Many steps have been taken. Many still need to be made. And unfortunately, at times, steps backwards have been taken. The commitment to human rights is never finished, the Pope said, adding that he is close to all those who work and fight to defend human rights in the concrete situations of everyday life. The Holy Father expressed his joy at the release of Armenian and Azerbaijani prisoners. I look with great hope on this positive sign between Armenia and Azerbaijan for peace in the South Caucasus, the Pope said, while encouraging both nations with their leaders to conclude a peace treaty as soon as possible. Pope Francis went on to ask for prayers for all peoples suffering from war. We are heading toward Christmas. Are we able, with God's help, to take concrete steps for peace, he asked. While acknowledging the difficulties of resolving conflicts that have deep historical roots, the Pope invited everyone to follow the example of men and women who have worked wisely and patiently for peaceful coexistence. And returning to the issue of human rights, the Pope called for civilians, hospitals, and places of worship to be protected, for hostages to be freed, and for humanitarian aid to be guaranteed in conflict areas. And let us not forget tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel, he added. Finally, with the COP28 conference on climate change drawing to a close in Dubai, Pope Francis asked for prayers for a good outcome for the care of our common home and the protection of populations. I'm Sister Bernadette Rees. Pope Francis has announced the church's first World Day of Children. The Holy Father announced Friday on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception that the church will celebrate its first World Day of Children next May, the weekend of May 25th and 26th. Multiple tornadoes in Tennessee have left at least six people dead and dozens injured. Two adults and a child were killed in Clarksville, while three others died in Madison, just north of Nashville. State officials say the tornadoes caused extensive damage across several Nashville suburbs. Meanwhile, millions are now getting drenched as the major storm impacts the East Coast. Mark Mayfield reports. Travel advisories and flash flood alerts are in effect for many areas, including New York City, with up to five inches of rain expected to fall. Forecasters are predicting wind gusts of 50 miles per hour or higher from Washington to Boston. Damaging storms are also affecting the South, from Virginia to the Florida Panhandle. I'm Mark Mayfield. The president of the University of Pennsylvania is resigning after a congressional hearing about anti-Semitism on college campuses. 
The House is investigating Harvard, MIT, and Penn after their presidents failed to explicitly say, based on freedom of speech grounds, that calling for the genocide of Jews violates their code of conduct. On Saturday, UPenn President Liz McGill announced she would be resigning effective immediately. Meanwhile, Harvard President Claudine Gay has apologized for her response during the hearing, saying threats against the university's Jewish students have no place at the school. And a new study finds seven in 10 Americans consider themselves to be spiritual, although a sizable portion say they are not religious. According to a Pew Research study released late last week, 22% of Americans say they are spiritual or that spirituality is very important in their lives, but they don't think of themselves as religious. 48% of those surveyed say they are religious and spiritual. 10% say they are religious but not spiritual. And 21% are neither religious nor spiritual. Well, that's a segment in and of itself. I know. <laughs> what it strikes me... Um, well, they, see, they never ask enough questions on these surveys. Well, they never give us enough information. What uh, do you mean by spiritual? Like, what do you mean by religious? When someone says the word religious to you, what do you think that they are asking you? Or I wonder if they, when, when they... When someone says spiritual, what does that mean? Because some people just mean, I'm in touch with my emotions. Other people mean, I worship crystals. Well, my question is whether the Pew researchers define these words for them when they ask the questions well see that is a very good question because i don't know about you anna mitchell but i grew up uh hearing that religion was a very bad word so even though i was very strong christian i would have never said that i was religious because religion was to me like a dead thing Mm -hmm. it was an obstacle to a relationship with jesus christ which a lot of people who are spiritual but not religious actually mean they don't have a relationship with any god whatsoever Mm mm-hmm yeah. But on top of that, I was freaked out when, as a new Catholic, people were, like, introducing me to religious. I'm like, what do you mean religious people? And they meant nuns. Mm-hmm. But they don't – you would never you would never introduce – well, there were no nuns in Protestantism. But when people were like, oh, uh, this is a religious sister, I'm like, uh, what do you mean a religious – I'm going to have to look around. What do you mean religious life? See if there are any Catholic sociologists looking at this Pew study. That would be interesting. Be interesting to unpack this a little bit more. For sure. Indeed. Well, speaking of religious life, if you uh, have a nativity scene, you owe it to a religious brother, Francis of Assisi, who uh, helped spread devotion to the baby Jesus in his day. Teresa Tamio now joining us from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. Teresa, good morning. Hey, good morning. Buongiorno. And I just think it's so... Amazing if you look at the pictures because the the Vatican unveiled the nativity scene in St. Peter's Square last night. So I was online doing some research because I want to talk about it today with you and then on Catholic Connection. But it's it's just so beautiful and St. Francis is there as well as several of his brothers and the mayor of they have images of the mayor of the town from uh, I, I think the uh, 1800s. It's just really incredible. The one of the mayors who was very supportive of the whole uh, display and the whole uh, little uh, area that that Francis visited and actually uh, created with his brothers. There's also a little monastery up there, but it's really an opportunity, I think, for us to to learn about St. Francis and why he wanted to do that, because he wanted to have a mini Holy Land for people 
uh, in Italy because he realized a lot of people were never going to make it over there. So maybe just a little exercise, an Advent exercise to read the article on Catholic News Agency. It's really well done. They have some pictures there. Then I'm going to repost an article I wrote last year all about Greccio, which is my first time there. And we went there again uh, this year with our group for our La Dolce Fide uh, pilgrimage. It is so beautiful. You talk about remote. And what's really amazing, Matt and Annie, is that if you think about Assisi and where St. Francis was based, and we're realizing that this was in the 1200s, right? Lazio, or Greccio is in the region of Lazio, not Umbria, so it's south of Assisi. But it takes you by bus or by car from Assisi, like 90 minutes to get there. So think about walking there, which is what he had to do, right? Because he didn't have a little Fiat or a nice little air-conditioned bus. So that whole pondering of the effort of St. Francis to bring the Holy Land to the people of Italy uh, in the Middle Ages like that. And also Pope Francis wants us, when we look at the nativity scene, to pray for the people in the Holy Land. So I just thought that would be a nice way, as here we are in the full second week of Advent, something to ponder this week. Well, you say he didn't have a Fiat, but he kind of had a, had a little bit of one, just a little bit of one, you know. A little donkey? No, a little uh, little may it be done to me, according to your word, was in there. But, there you go. Oh, his Fiat. I see what you're yeah, saying. I, was thinking, <laughs> I, did, I, I thought you had I done that on purpose until you kept talking. You're talking about the Fiat, right, right like Mary's yes. Fiat. I get it. You get you're it. You're so clever. Lord, let your will be done in my life. Amen. And this is Francis's uh, thing. And, you know, Francis, uh, you know, so enamored with uh, the fact that Christ would become a baby. It, what shocks right. me about the whole thing is that there wasn't really anything like this going until St. Francis right. sort of started a revolution to, to yep. really focus on that. Yep. And it's one of the reasons why in Europe, and especially in Italy, if you go to uh, churches, all the churches have different crescenes, their own special crescenes. And so one of the fun things to do, and I have this on my website, TravelItalyExpert.com, is you're ever there Anywhere in Italy at Christmas time, obviously as Catholics, we would, the first thing we would do, most of us, would go to the piazza and go to the church and say a prayer, at least, even if we can't go to Mass there, but to look for the different crescenes. When you go to Rome, you can actually do like a little tour of all, not only the major basilicas, but some of the other beautiful churches, because the scenes are just phenomenal. And actually this year at the Vatican, they're having again this display of over 100 nativity sets from around the world. Dominic and I did that back in 2019 when we uh, had Christmas in Rome phenomenal, different cultures from around the world expressing how they view the nativity scene. So uh, just some cool stuff to think about this morning and, and some great resources on Catholic News Agency. And then I'll put those articles on my Facebook page as well. Well, we got a, our nativity display. We got a Fontanini. Um, oh, and we, okay. We got, you know, when we first got married, we got just like the crib and the, you know, the little, you know, the stable and Mary and Joseph and, and baby Jesus. And every year... We've tried to add like one piece to it, mm-hmm. and uh, so we've got you know lots and lots of pieces to it now. Uh, but my 11 year old has gone, and we we put it out most of the pieces. Of course, we hide the baby Jesus and, and right. whatever. But he's got Mary and Joseph like way over in some other part of the house, right? Because they're not in Bethlehem yet, like yes. not on the liturgical uh-huh. calendar. That's a great he's idea. Got the wise men. I don't even know where the wise men are, <laughs> but they're somewhere, and uh, they're all over the place, and they get like inched forward, you know, through various days. I Advent, love that idea. So. You know, a good friend of mine who's now the Bishop of Gary, Indiana, Bishop McClory, who used to be in the Archdiocese of Detroit, he said when he was growing up in his good Irish Catholic family home, his parents would do that. They would move out the, and he, so he started doing that in his house as well when he got older, but they would take the different uh, pieces of the nativity and they would move them like every day during Advent, one step closer to the manger. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what we're all doing, right? Spiritually yeah, speaking, closer. during the uh, season of Advent. Now, my last question for you is, so you've been to Greccio, right? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so have you seen the original one that St. Francis put together, or is that available still? It's not available, but what is available is the actual, because it was actually a live nativity scene that he put together. So this is what's different about the scene in, in Vatican that he doesn't use. You mean that donkey's what, not live. still around? No, oh. he's not. I don't know what happened, you know, because donkeys are pretty hardy animals. But they do have the actual cave and the piece of stone where they laid the baby Jesus. You can go there, and there's a sign with, with information about Pope Francis and also Pope Benedict and others who have visited there. And, and Matt, it is just, it's so beautiful. It is in the middle, seems like it's in the middle of nowhere. You're on top of a mountain. It takes quite a bit of a hike to get up there. Even when you take your car or your bus, if you're going with the pilgrimage and you go up to this area, you have to climb like three or four very steep flights of stairs, but it's so worth it. I'll put some pictures up, too. I would love to from see some trip. pictures of that. Okay. I'll send you them should to have you. them up by the time that Catholic Connection goes on so you can steer the listeners there uh, yes. as well. Yes, well, so. I, I said it to my, my people. Uh, to, to put up some fun poster this morning. But if you can even look up Greccio, Italy. The pictures are just phenomenal. And there are some good pictures also on um, the Vatican website as well, if you want to look that up. But it's just something, it's so peaceful. And that's what you get when you're there. And you can, you can understand. I mean, the walk must have been, the journey must have been so arduous for, for St. Francis, although he was probably used to it, right? Because that's how they got along. But if you go there, it's just so peaceful. It really feels like the little town of Bethlehem, and I've been to Bethlehem too. But this is the way he was able to replicate it. It's phenomenal. But yeah, you can see the Very actual cool. cave and the stone, and they have a little baby Jesus, um, you know, uh, uh, nativity scene, part of the nativity scene there in the cave, and you walk through, and you also go in the little area where the monks would stay. That was one a little monastery for them as well. They go and pray. So really Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, and again, the Catholic News Agency article's got some cool pictures also. Yes. You should check mm-hmm. that out. Teresa Tamio will be tuned in to Catholic Connection later this morning. Have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, hon. God bless. Bye-bye. All right, 16 past. We've got headlines coming up next. Are you looking for peace? Logging for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available. And when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. She is one of the most beloved saints of all time. Honored as the saint of the little way. Matthew Bunsen and the doctors of the church. St. Therese of Lisieux entered the Carmelite convent of Lisieux in 1888 and survived only nine more years. Still, her extraordinary holiness and prayer life prompted her superiors to have her write an autobiography, The Story of a Soul. 
it became a spiritual classic. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. 18 minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has released a video message saying it is the beginning of the end for Hamas. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights, and the Holy Father has announced the first ever World Day of Children, which will take place in May. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And Anna Mitchell, just want to put out the encouragement, you know, uh, Teresa was talking about, you know, the peacefulness of the uh, Greccio nativity and, mm-hmm. and all of that. I don't know about you. It has not been a peaceful start to Advent for me. It has been wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have not done a good job of, like, creating the territory and setting the boundaries and really, like, saying, you know what? We're going to do Advent, like, quiet. Sure. And uh, so I just want to put it out there to anybody who's discouraged because they haven't done this as well as they would hope to do it There's one weekend. Time. There's still time. There's At least time. I hope there's still time. Still time. I got to carve out some space. I got to be more intentional. Mm-hmm. I don't know about anybody else. I really luck out in that uh, Roma has catechism class on Tuesday nights at our parish, and they time it so that it lines up with Eucharistic adoration in the church. Oh, that's nice. So I just, I just get to sit with our Lord every Tuesday while Roma's, you know, learning from a Carmelite nun in the uh, building across the way. So I um, am very grateful for that because it's like, you know, the parish does that for me, just kind of sets it up for me. But it's a great way to just, even if you have a few minutes, to just go sit in silence in a Eucharistic chapel. I mean, we're about to talk to Sister Alicia Torres about the silence of the Eucharist and Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's, you know, it's a great way to do it. Yeah, silence is the key. I, I can tell when I'm losing track if I'm if there's screens going everywhere and mm-hmm. music is loud. You know, that's just a big, on and that's just a nice way to do it. Turn off the screens. Off. I got to turn things off. It may even be as simple as that. You don't even yeah. have to go anywhere. I got to not feel bad about not responding to everybody's emails. Yeah. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. 
She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood. The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us today. Sister Alicia Torres is back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. She's a member of the Franciscans of the Eucharist in Chicago and manages the Heart of the Revival e-newsletter as part of the National Eucharistic Revival Executive Team. Sister, good morning. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. And we're going to be talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe today, Mm. uh, her feast, December 12th. She is the patroness of the Eucharistic Revival, is she not? Why is that? You know, well, Our Lady of Guadalupe is the patroness because in a very profound way, when she came to the Americas and appeared to to Juan Diego, her main desire was to have a temple, a church built, so that her son could be worshipped and glorified. And that means precisely that the Mass could be celebrated and the Eucharist adored. Yeah, and Juan Diego, wasn't he on his way to Mass when she appeared to him? He was on his way to Mass. Yeah. He was, absolutely. So he himself already had that connection to the Lord. However, you know, his, his, his identity was really kind of crushed by the weight of the experience that he was having with the Spaniards coming into Mexico and all of these things. So Our Lady really helps to ennoble and enliven him in his mission of being part of the body of Christ. How have you been reflecting on Our Lady of Guadalupe this year, sister? You know, for me personally, I've been thinking about how John Paul II talks about in Ecclesia de Eucharistia that Our Lady helps us, or he's, she's, yeah, she's helping us to contemplate the face of Christ. And gazing upon the Eucharist is, in a very real way, contemplating the face of Christ and how her loving gaze is this model for me of how I can love Jesus and then through that gaze on him, be able to see him in those that I encounter. Right, because, I mean, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, she is actually pregnant with our mm-hmm. Eucharistic Lord. Mm-hmm. She is. She is. She's uh, the, all, of the, all of the imagery from the culture um, of the time indicates that she's a woman that's expecting. Um, and actually, Father Tim Odenhoven, who's been writing some essays for us mm-hmm. about Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Eucharist, noted in his very first film last year that she's actually dancing like there's this joy about her um and we ought we ought to have joy when we're in the presence of our lord it's so wonderful yeah yeah it definitely is you know i think it's kind of fitting i hope you can reflect on this that that her feast day always happens within the context of the season of advent when we are called to be more quiet, to to mm. cultivate silence in our lives. I was thinking about the the miracle of those roses 
mm-hmm. that were growing on this rocky hillside. I mean, it's such a, a peaceful, silent sign that mm-hmm. that cut right to the heart of Juan Diego's bishop. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that was um, part of their culture, too, the floricanto. Flowers and song were so important to the indigenous people as far as a way of connecting with their gods. And so when Our Lady appears and effectively is the best evangelist of all history, you know, like thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions of people, you know, because of her message of Christ's love and mercy, enter the church and and are baptized. Um, And so the bishop would have certainly had a sense of that, but that silent, beautiful um, image of the flower is is so fitting, and, and it's a sign of worship, right, that we're offering the beauty of God's creation back to God, and Our Lady knew that. You know, this is one of the reasons why, outside of Advent and Lent, we, we have flowers upon our altar. That's a sign of our offering and our very gift of self to the Lord as we prepare and celebrate the Mass. And do you think the Eucharist is a miracle of silence as well? <laughs> I think that that's a perfect way for us to enter into reflecting on the Eucharist especially as we draw close to Christmas, is that all of that happened in silence, right? The incarnation in the womb of Mary and the hands of the priest, he, he speaks the words in the person of Christ, right? This is my body, this is my blood. And then in those silent moments, he's holding the Lord before us at that moment of consecration and elevation. And so there is a real call in this time to rediscover the power of silence in the Mass, Pope um, Pope Francis talked about that in Desideria Desideravi, and I really hope that every single person listening this morning takes that to heart, because there's no greater way to commune with God than in that deep and rich and strong silence. Amen. Amen. So, you know, this is our our final Advent before the Eucharistic Congress coming up in the summertime uh, next year. What do you think— our Lady of Guadalupe, how do you think Our Lady of Guadalupe is is inviting us to to come to our Euchar- our Eucharistic Lord in this year? Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think it's the same thing that she's always done is to Jesus through Mary, right? Mary's mission is a participation in the mission of her son. And so all of us, the Lord is inviting all of us through this revival to refix our gaze upon Christ in the Eucharist. So to contemplate the face of Christ in the school of Mary, like John Paul II said, was in a sense a, a program for the 21st century. And there's no better way to do that than in the presence of the Eucharist. Most definitely. We've been talking to Sister Alicia Torres. And Sister, if uh, listeners have not signed up for the Heart of the Revival uh, newsletter that you manage, how can they do so? Yeah, eucharisticrevival.org slash newsletter. Nice. We have that linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Sister Alicia Torres. Sister, really appreciate your time and your reflections this morning. Thank you for having me. God bless you. You too, Sister. Thank you very much. You can find all of our guests linked in the show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com. Encourage you to go check out our video feed. If you click on uh, the show notes, you can find a link there. You can go uh, search for Sunrise Morning Show on YouTube. You can see what uh, see what what makeup Matt's wearing today. Okay, he's not actually wearing makeup. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news.
Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says it's the beginning of the end for Hamas. In a video message yesterday, Netanyahu said dozens of militants have surrendered as Israel continues trying to wipe them out in the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip. He said it will take more time, but his message to Hamas is that it's over. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is set to travel to the White House tomorrow. Mark Mayfield reports. President Biden invited Zelensky for a meeting to underscore the U.S. commitment to supporting Ukraine. An aid package for the country remains stalled in Congress, with a visit coming less than a week after Senate Republicans blocked a bill to give aid to Ukraine and Israel in their respective fights against Russia and Hamas. Zelensky will also meet with House Speaker Mike Johnson. I'm Mark Mayfield. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on human rights. He went on to ask for prayers for all people suffering from war. He said, we are heading toward Christmas. Are we able, with God's help, to take concrete steps for peace? He reminded the faithful to not forget tormented Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. In his catechesis for his Angelus Address yesterday, Pope Francis reflected on the gospel reading for the second Sunday of Advent, focusing on the power of silence. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. From John the Baptist's position near the Jordan River, the Pope said, the desert from where the Apostle preaches is a place of silence and essentials. Eso es luego del silencio. A place where someone cannot afford to dwell on useless things, but needs to concentrate on what is indispensable to live. This, the Pope said, is an always relevant reminder. To proceed on the journey of life, we need to be stripped of the more. Because to live well does not mean being filled with useless things, but being freed from the superfluous. To dig deeply within ourselves so as to hold on to what is truly important before God. Focusing on the second image, the voice, Pope Francis highlighted its connection to silence because it expresses what matures inside from listening to what the Spirit suggests. If someone does not know how to be quiet, he said, it is unlikely they will have something good to say, while the more attentive the silence, the stronger the word. Finally, the Pope suggested we ask ourselves, what place does silence have in my days? Is it an empty, perhaps oppressive silence? Or is it a space for listening, for prayer, for guarding my heart? Is my life sober or filled with superfluous things? Valorizamo il silencio, la sobrietà, l'ascolto. Even if it means going against the tide, he concluded, let us value silence, sobriety and listening. May Mary, Virgin of Silence, help us to love the desert, to become credible voices who testify to her son who is coming. I'm Linda Bordoni. Multiple tornadoes in Tennessee have left at least six people dead and dozens injured. Two adults and a child were killed in Clarksville, while three others died in Madison, just north of Nashville. State officials say the tornadoes caused extensive damage across several Nashville suburbs. The National Weather Service says the same fierce storm system is likely to bring thunderstorms to much of the East Coast and heavy snow to the Appalachians throughout the day today. A second top University of Pennsylvania official is resigning after a congressional hearing on anti-Semitism concerns on college and university campuses. 
Scott Carr reports. The University of Pennsylvania's chairman of the board, Scott Bach, stepped down from his post. Reports say just minutes after the resignation of university president Liz McGill on Saturday. McGill was already under pressure after a pro-Palestinian event was held on campus in September, followed by Hamas's attack on Israel and reports of rising anti-Semitism on the Penn campus. Reports say that pressure was amped up last week when McGill and the heads of other universities refused to say before a congressional panel that calling for the genocide of Jews violated their respective schools' code of conduct. The president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, has apologized for her response. I'm Scott Carr in Washington. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on EWTN Radio. It's 35 past the hour. The Sunrise Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. A common question that many people ask concerns whether or not their actions are in union with the will of God. It's clear to St. Paul that God does not keep us guessing whether or not we are doing his will. God will always give us indicators to help us know if we are on the right path. St. Paul refers to these in the letter to the Galatians as fruits of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If one is trying to live in the presence of God, these fruits will be seen in one form or another. They all flow from the Holy Spirit and help us in our love of God and neighbor, as well as with the personal struggles that occur in our souls. The fruits are more than passing feelings. They become, as we draw closer to Christ, the ordinary way in which we live our lives. With these gifts comes a humble awareness that we must depend on God to care for us and at the same time realize that God depends on us to use these fruits as seeds to plant in the hearts of others. The experience of the fruits show us that our souls are not arid deserts, but lush gardens, places where we can dwell with God in prayer. Let us ask the Lord that the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we enjoy can be enjoyed by others through our loving service to them. And this is what we learn from the heart of St. Paul. Well, you know what that music means. It means it's time to talk to Bear Wozniak, and he is known for his deep adventure projects. Uh, you may have seen him on the long ride home on EWTN television. You may also have uh, picked up his latest book, which is called 12 Rules for Manliness, and it's all about some various things that men should probably be thinking about uh, and we may have forgotten about. Bear, good morning. Good morning. We're, we're still down in the Virgin Islands. We've been sailing it for a few weeks now. We're going to start recording our new little uh, YouTube video, Spirit of Adventure, while we're down here uh, starting this week. Very cool. Well, we're talking know? today about yeah. cre- creeds and codes. And, you know, we 
recite the Nicene Creed at Mass, sometimes, uh, you know, the Apostles' Creed. I, you know, pray the Apostles' Creed every time I pray the Rosary. But when you say a creed and a code for each individual man, you're not saying make up your own different version of the Nicene Creed because the Nicene Creed's not good enough. You're saying something else about your own code. Uh, talk about that. Yeah, you know, when I was writing the book, uh, 12 Rules for Manliness, I, I, I wrote out to a lot of men and said, please tell me what your creed is. And I got to say, I was disappointed with what came back. Some of some of the bikers said, "Keep the rubber side down," and it was kind of like glib things like that. But I think a creed is something that we all really should consider uh, seriously. How our own personal talos, you know, our own personal, the gifts and callings, and even the limitations that God's given us. Uh, what is it? How are we supposed to live our life? Everyone has a un- a very unique fingerprint, thumbprint. Uh, same thing with with the, our unique creed that we should live by. And there's a difference between a creed and a code. Uh, my boyhood hero was Duke Kahanamoku, and his creed was simple, to give aloha to everyone that he greets. Uh, aloha means to give love. Um, and so a creed is kind of like, wh- what is the essence of how you feel God is calling you individually to live your life? And we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, the interviews that I've done uh, with men and women, you know, where the husband and wives are doing the show, or even uh, what I mean interview just by the women, uh, the the husbands and wives are getting together and they're really working through their individual creeds. So a creed is like a, a one sentence, two sentence statement. How are you going to live your life? And then a code. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a rules of Saint Benedict guy. You know, I'm a Benedictine oblate. A code is how you live it out. Like the Marines, I think their creed is uh, Semper Fi, but then they have five or six kind of basic rules that they choose to live by. Do you you see what I mean, what I mean by the difference between that? Oh, sure. Yeah, some people call it a rule of life, right? The Benedictines, uh, you know, are kind of like a great model of that. You know, there's a a motto that goes along with... Uh, you know, some some. I mean, you mentioned the motto of the Marines. Uh, you know, various schools have mottos, uh, but then you got to figure out how to put handles on that. You know, I, I can't help but think as you're mentioning this, and as I was looking over, you know, the the topic today, uh, that so often a lot of us default to the creed that uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie This Is Spinal Tap, but the keyboard player Viv Savage is asked by Marty DeBerge, the filmmaker, "Do you have a creed or philosophy?" That you live by, and he just says, "My creed is have a good time all the time," and that's a <laughs> that's not a very good creed. But that's it seems like that's what creed. a lot of people default to. Unless you define good as as only God being good, and you're pursuing the that's creed, true. Good. But yeah, but yeah, you know, as a Benedictine, I would say our creed is ora et labora, you know, uh, prayer mm-hmm. and work, prayer and labor, which is, it suits really well someone like me who's. Actually, isn't you know it, you know works for a living you know so, and for people like us. But you know um, the, the the breaking down then of what is your creed? My, you know my personal creed is you probably know we've shared it before, but um, my personal creed is the most radical quest you can pursue in life is to abandon yourself to the wild adventure of God's will. And you know you know me well enough to know that that kind of defines the way God wired me too, the way I kind of came back reloaded have a little bit more uh, of adventure, you know, in my life. But it basically boils it down to, I'm going to abandon myself to God's will. And I know in there, there's a wild adventure, but it's also where all the stuff happens, you know, where I get to see God, you know, move and do things. So that's a creed. But then the rules you're going to live your life by, those, those are different things. To codify those, that's different. And that's like these 12 rules in this book, 
there's plenty more rules, but those are just 12 of my rules. Uh, but each person should sit down and, and, and really have a conversation with God and with themselves and work it out over a week or two period, get someplace alone out of nature or someplace, and really wrestle with what, how did God make me? What, what, how should I be as an individual expressing the way God made me? And then what are the rules I'll live by? What is my creed? And what is my code? It was John Wayne that said, every man needs a creed, a code he can live by. I think he was quoting Louis L'Amour, yeah. the great well, Western writer. Not a, every man needs one, but every man's got one. And uh, if, you don't, mm. if you don't do it in a, intentionally, it's like I, uh, you know, I, I sometimes say on here, everybody has a religion. Some people believe in the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Like everybody, <laughs> There are people who, for whom, uh, you know, being a fan of the Dallas Cowboys is their religion, right? There's there's people for whom, like, you can name anything in the world, right, uh, that somebody right. has devoted. Whatever you give your time, talent, and treasure to, that's ultimately uh, what you believe in. I mean, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, there is your heart. But, you know, I, I don't know where, where you go for some of this. I mean, the rule of St. Benedict is a great place. I like the Proverbs. Uh, you know, the Proverbs uh, are just yeah. loaded with with. Yeah. Things that I aspire yeah. to, that I fail at, but I aspire to. I remember um, very early on remembering, uh, you know, when you're memorizing these uh, these verses as a kid, as an evangelical, uh, Proverbs fifteen one, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's something that, mm-hmm. like, I try and instill in myself. Like, can I come up with a soft mm-hmm. answer to turn away wrath, or am I going to come up with a harsh word that stirs up anger? Uh, I mean, this is like the kind of stuff that that that's you don't have to like invent it from scratch. It's out there, you know. It's in the yeah. wisdom of the you, saints and the scriptures. You know that that really that really stirs up a thought in me too. You know, when you read the Catechism and its take on the Ten Commandments, you know the unique depth in which the the Catechism goes and kind of like the obvious, but then also the deeper meanings of those. Great way to think out, uh, you know, what our personal code will be. This is a thing I think that fathers should be doing with their with their sons, with their children, but especially with their sons. Son, what is your creed? And, and you know what? Here's the beauty of it. When we have limitations, pay attention to that, because in some ways that's the guardrails of, of where God wants us to, to live. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be an artist. I thought I would be until I tried it. You know, I'm a terrible artist, you know. That kind of kept me, though, that my limitations kept me kind of in the between the navigational beacons of where God wanted me, but also where we have weaknesses that we have to overcome. Some of us have great strengths, but it's the weaknesses where we develop the virtue so that when we go to exercise our strengths, we do that with humility and we do that with God, you know, with, you know, godly motivation and grace. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, things like be a, being a, a, a listener, you know, to someone who is hurting, right? Like this is, these are the kinds of things mm-hmm. where, you know, even our own wounds can allow us to be better listeners, right? Or even our, uh, you know, own frustrations with the way things are can help us be better empathizers with other people who are going through similar things. Uh, I mean, even you, you mentioned limitations. You know, think about, uh, you know, someone who, you know, has some sort of chronic illness or some yeah. acute illness. And what is one of the first things that can help them is finding someone else who's gone through it, right? I mean, even those weaknesses give us a chance, uh, you know, to to say, I am not going to just take my own frustrations and struggles and internalize them and use them as an engine for my rage, (laughs) but I am going to take them and give them to other people as gifts. 
I really like what you were saying, too. You know, I had someone write to me today, one of the members of the Man Cave, about him really struggling in his marriage. And I could just give him all kinds of advice. Or I could just listen, you know, and, and, and give and, and affirm where he's where it hurts and, and, and challenge him in areas then. But it's just like what you said, Proverbs. Those guys had all kinds of advice, you know, for Job, but they, every one of them missed the mark, you know. And so uh, to be a good listener, Jesus said, finally God said to Job, you done now? You want to listen? I want to hear what I have to say. So listening to others, but listening to God, too. All right. Creed and code. Good stuff to think about here on uh, the Sunrise Morning Show, Bear Wozniak. Thank you so much for being a part of it, and have a great time. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Ahoy ho. Aloha. And we've got Bear's book, 12 Rules for Manliness, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Check it out. We're back with Stephanie Mann after this. It's 14 till. Support is for MediShare. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care, and here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too, for over 30 years. It's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members And here's the thing. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another 10% off all of 2024. That's 12 months of savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline's December 15th. So call now. You'll save even more. Here's the number. 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. You know, we talk story with each of our very unique guests for the whole hour so that you can go deep with us as you yourself pursue your own story of heroic virtue and as you pursue intimacy with God. The Bear Wozniak Adventure, Saturday night, 6 Eastern on EWTN Radio. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has released a video message saying it's the beginning of the end for Hamas. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis marked the 75th anniversary of the Universal Declaration on Human Rights and asked the faithful to pray for all people suffering from war. And the Holy Father announced... The Catholic Church's first World Day of Children will be taking place the weekend of May 25th and 26th next year. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Stephanie Mann. Go read her blog at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. We're continuing our series 
on Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors for Every Day in the Year, which you can find from Sophia Institute Press. Stephanie, good morning. Good morning, Anna. I do have to comment about uh, Pope Francis's declaration. We used to say to our parents, well, why isn't there a child's day? I mean, there's Father's Day, there's Father's Day. <laughs> and my mother would always reply, every day is child's day. You know that. <laughs> and children certainly let you know it, don't they, Stephanie? Yes. <laughs> yes, they certainly do. They certainly do. But it's nice. Anyway. It's nice for them to get their own day, for sure. Yes. So we'll look forward to that yes. at the, the end of May next year. Uh-huh. So, uh, Stephanie, today we are going to be talking about St. Eustace White, who was venerable Eustace White when when Father Bowden wrote this book. He was martyred martyred at Tyburn on December 10th, 1591, and he was a convert to Catholicism, correct? Yes, he was. That's one of the details that Father Bowden includes in his uh, memento of this this martyr is that he was uh, born in Lincolnshire and his conversion, as he says, so offended, so much offended his father, an earnest Protestant, that the father laid a curse upon him. Hmm. But Father uh, White <laughs> took that curse with him to uh, the continent, studied for the priesthood and returned to England as a missionary priest. So he wow. went even deeper into his conversion maybe after his father cursed him and became a priest. He was arrested, however, and then came under the hands of, of uh, Richard Topcliffe, uh, the notorious pursuivant of priest. And I, don't, I almost have to say he's a kind of a professional torturer. He even had a torture chamber in his home. Whoa. So he could work from home if he needed to. That's that's just a horrible detail that he was this this in, in, invested in his work because what he wanted to do was find out where from those he arrested, where more Catholics were, who he should arrest next, and who they could charge with the crime of being a Catholic or saying Mass or hearing Mass. So it was a bad situation for Father Eustace, but he turned it into a beautiful, beautiful end of his life and martyrdom. He did. And one of the things that I have been loving, and I've said this before, about doing this series, these segments with you, each week on on Father Bowden's book is that you go and do more research to put mm-hmm. more meat on the bones, so to speak, um, to to better understand what Father Bowden is reflecting on here, because mm-hmm. it talks about the the title of of this entry for mm-hmm. for December tenth is the sweat of the passion. So, can you talk about? This torture that that Father White underwent under top. Yeah, it, it, it sounds simple. I mean, it sounds like, well, why would this hurt so badly? But he was hung by his wrists. So his wrists were tied above, above his head and hung. And father, another priest, uh, Father John Gerard, who was a Jesuit and one of the leaders of the Jesuit mission in England, described it. He said that that it, it, they were he was left hanging by his hands and arms fastened above his head. Tips of his toes were still reaching the ground, so they removed dirt from under it so that he was totally suspended by his wrists above his head. And he says that he, he started to pray. Father, uh, uh, well, Father White experienced this too, but Father Gerard says he started to pray, but that all of a sudden there was such a pain, it, it, he started cramping in his chest and belly and, 
and all the blood seemed to be rushed into his hands. I thought the blood was oozing from the ends of my fingers and the pores of my skin, pores of my skin, because his flesh was swelling. So it was so intense. So this is what Father Eustace White also suffered. In fact, he this the, that sweat of the passion refers to the fact that he sweat for the the that his body the sweat from his body actually wet the ground beneath wow. and yet they could get no information from him about any catholics he visited or any other priests that he had worked with and so he he really confounded uh topcliffe and then his his words that he uses it and again father bowden picks his words very carefully too under the extremity of his passion he cried out lord more pain if thou pleasest and more patience Wow. And then to speak to Topcliffe the way he does says, I'm not angry at you this, angry at you, but I will pray to God for your welfare and salvation. And Topcliffe said, I don't want you to pray for me. I don't want your prayers. And mm. then Father Eustace kind of went, doubled down on it himself and said, well, I will pray for you at the gallows because you have great need of prayers. Wow. So, yes, very dramatic scene and just showing what first kind of the hatred uh, that Topcliffe had for this man that he couldn't even stand to know that he would pray for him and secondly the great love that the priest had for his torture that he would pray for him and, and he, be concerned for his welfare spiritual welfare yeah absolutely and and he was not the only one who was praying for Topcliffe was he yes uh -huh. Yes, because the same day, that, the December 10th, there were two sites of execution, and Topcliffe was, was at the other one, which was at Gray's Inn Road, where a number of pre two priests and a number of laymen were being executed. And one of those laymen, St. Swithin Wells, famous, uh, one of the famous martyrs of, of the 40, said that he was praying for Topcliffe that he, like, say, like Saul, would be converted be knocked off his high horse Amazing. as we as we say and that paul stopped persecuting catholics and become like saint paul so again i don't think that that uh wish that prayer was ever granted because right. uh with was obdurate but yeah. still just these images that we have of these martyrs and what they suffered and the spirit with which they suffered it too it it just it sometimes it seems almost unbelievable but at the same time we know that that this has been true throughout all the ages of the church, that martyrs have suffered excruciating pains and yet had great patience and love and endured. And so they're an example to us in, in our little things that happen to us. Yeah, absolutely. Being open to the graces of God and gra grace will be poured into you if, if you ask yes. the Lord to do it. You have to... Uh, Father Hezekiah Carnazzo always says you have to be a martyr before you're a martyr. You won't be a martyr when you're yes. martyred. And uh, they are a great right. example of it. We've been talking to Stephanie Mann. You can find her blog linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stephanie, thank you. God bless you, Anna. See Me you. Too. Talk to you next week.